Hello and welcome to Front Page Radio with your host, international author, broadcaster, and journalist Dan Wooding, the founder of Assist Ministries and the Assist News Service. Dan, who was born in Nigeria of British missionary parents, was raised in England and later worked for some of Great Britain's largest newspapers. He has been a journalist covering the world for some 47 years now with a focus on persecuted Christians and missions. And now, here's Dan Wooding with today's guest. Welcome to today's Front Page Radio, and I'm speaking to you from North Wales. And I've had a surprise visitor today. His name is Ray Barnett. He is the founder of the African Children's Choir, and we work together on a book called Uganda Holocaust, which we're going to talk about in a few minutes. But also, he's just released his autobiography, Don't Tell Me It Can't Be Done. Ray, welcome to the program. Thank you, Dan. Well, I want to take you back to my wicked days in the British tabloids when I was working for the Sunday People in London, and uh, I was going through a very difficult period spiritually. I was drinking very heavily. I was uh, pretty well lost my faith. Uh, my poor wife Norma didn't quite know what was going on. And suddenly, on a Saturday night, I'm drunk as usual in the stab in the back pub in Fleet Street in London when up turns Ray Barnett and I hadn't seen Ray for quite a while and Ray felt God had given him a message to get me to sort my life out. Can you remember that Ray and can you remember what you felt you needed to tell me? Yeah well yes uh, of course I I remember it and uh, I I, I knew the story of some of the hurt you'd experienced. And uh, uh, we know that uh, no Christian is perfect. You know, uh, the Lord's perfect. And uh, and we strive for perf- perfection. But here and there, we we miss the mark. And uh, I, I knew that you were hurting, Dan, with some of your previous experience with Christians uh, and so forth. So... I felt that your way ahead was to get back with God. And that, that was my mission to tell you that. Not, not, I, I, I didn't ever preach to you. You know, I said, uh, you know everything you need to know. So, you know, and one thing you do need to know that at some point you need to make your life right again with God. And that was, that was basically a very simple message. And, uh, I was interested because you were a journalist in Fleet Street, and I think I I needed some help in that area, and uh, um, that led to a lifelong friendship, and here we are sitting in North Wales. Well, what was so extraordinary was that I was born in Africa, uh, and um, I'd only ever been back once, finished up in prison in uh, Nigeria, which was a wasn't a very pleasant experience and here was Ray challenging me to recommit my life to Christ 
to give up my career in Fleet Street, which I had striven to become one of the best reporters in London. And, and he's now saying, I want you to give it all up. And I want you to come with me to Uganda and write a book about the church under Idi Amin. And I never forget, Ray, you said, and you won't get paid and you'll probably get shot at. And I thought only a Christian could come up with a deal as good as that. But believe it or not, that was the turning point of my life. Because um, I recommitted my life to the Lord. I went back into the uh, the newspaper and I handed in my notice. And uh, I remember the day I left, they all gathered and sang All Things Bright and Beautiful, which I think they were taking the mickey a little bit, but uh, I don't think they'd sung a hymn in that newsroom for years. But anyway, they uh, gave me quite a, a, a send-off, and we went all the way to East Africa to start with, to Nairobi. Now, Ray, you had already started to put the things together for this book, Uganda Holocaust, and um, I'd written quite a few books in the past, but never one quite so violent as this. Was it something like uh, 500,000 people were slaughtered by Idi Amin and his people, 300,000 at least were Christians, and uh, Idi Amin had just fled the country. Why was it you wanted to document what had been going on in Uganda? Well, uh, it was severe Christian persecution, and uh, people not only went to prison, uh, as you say, thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands of people were put to death by EDM, and the vast majority of them were Christians. Now, on, on the other hand, the my experience with uh, uh, the Idi Amin regime was uh, because a church was arrested and sentenced to death and went to prison. And that's when somebody had confronted me in Vancouver where I lived about this. What could I do about it? And uh, so off I went to Uganda. And the tragic thing, it is my longtime friend at that time, Jerry Jensen, had put together a little magazine and we had a picture of Edie Min scowling in the front and I took a pile of them with me, not really reasoning. If anybody had have opened that, I would have never left Uganda <laughs> because it was saying what a bad man he was. And, uh, uh, you know, that, that, was, that was our beginning, I think. Um, and after that, there were many more things and adventures, but that's what was the first step. Well, I'll never forget, we, on the first Sunday, we went to that church that had been sentenced to death. And um, I just couldn't believe what they were telling me. But you, maybe you could share, was the, I believe it was the, Idi Amin had, had banned most of the churches in Uganda. Uh, so they, they just changed their name and decided, well, he didn't ban them under that new name. I think they, they were the first full gospel church of um, Namarimbi or somewhere like that. Uh, and uh, they changed it to the second full gospel church. And, and uh, so we, we go along and there's bullet holes all over the, over the church building. Tell us what happened. Well, when what happened, uh, actually, 
it was one of the churches that was not allowed to meet. And one Easter Sunday morning, they decided to meet again for Easter Sunday. And at that time, unfortunately, the vice president of, of Uganda, who was a man called Mustafa Adrissi, was passing and he heard all the music and he called in the troops and shut up the building and uh, come in and um, it, it was a lot of musical instruments. They shut all of that up and carted everybody off to prison. And I remember one lady had heard the commotion of uh, Joseph blowing his trumpet when the shooting was happening and she thought it was the trumpet of the Lord and, and was not coming to church and thought she better rush to church. And uh, she ended up going to prison with everybody. It was a terrible experience for them. They, they had like a um, like a Nazi concentration camp, didn't they, that they, many of the people were taken to and were executed. And pretty well the whole church was taken to this place to uh, basically be killed. Yeah. And I remember that Sunday morning, Idi Amin had fled the country. And they, they one by one came forward to the front and forgave him. And I'd never heard anything like it, that they were able to forgive Idi Amin. Wait, can you remember that? Well, <laughs> actually, uh, there, was, there, was, um, there was two times. Where the, uh, first of all, they went to the prison. Idi Amin was in full power. And, uh, but it was the vice president who had them arrested. And he was on his way back from... Um, a nearby city and was in a violent car crash and couldn't make it to the prison to sign the death warrant. And because there's still something of the English judicial system there, all the McCary believers were set free. Now, after that, some of them were still lost their lives and uh, they, because they refused not to give up the Christian message. I remember one of the, the key people, Ray, that you introduced me to worked for the president of Uganda. He worked for Idi Amin. In fact, I think he drove you around in Idi Amin's limo. And um, he, would, uh, he would get the, 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 uh, the execution information and as much as he could, he would tip off the Christians. Well, there, there, there was actually, Dan, two or three different channels there. And uh, he worked in the Ministry of Religious Affairs in, Edium, in the president's office. So he was entitled to drive a presidential limousine. And what had happened, I had been challenged to go to Uganda to see what I could do to help not realizing how really bad it was. And uh, I got there, and uh, we knew there was a guest house at near Narimbi Cathedral, and we went all over the city, and it was coming curfew time. And then just finally, we were going towards the cathedral, and I saw a lady walking out of a little opening of a lane with a Bible under her arm. We stopped, and... Uh, uh, she said, we stopped the, car, the taxi, and she said, my name is Faith. And it just popped into my head, well, today I feel like Pilgrim. <laughs> and uh, 
She said, we've been praying for you. Oh, not me. Nobody knows I'm coming. I was with another gentleman. And uh, nobody, nobody knows that we're here. She said, we have been fasting and praying all weekend. It's just, it's just ending that God would send two people from the West to let us know we were not forgotten. Huh. And it was by the next Sunday that I was taking in the limousine to what they call the underground church. But what surprised me when we got out there and parked the car and the idea was we'd go into this house and out the back into a cottage uh, furniture industry place. But when we parked the car, we could sing, we could hear them singing all over, Our God Reigns. And that was what was the first thing that really amazed me. These people were actually praising God and worshiping and rejoicing under all of that persecution there. I think what effect it had on me, Ray, was that I had been working in, uh, you know, in the showbiz area in London, interviewed many famous people like Johnny Cash and, uh, you know, Starsky and Hutch and just went on and on. And they had their PR people. They were very famous. Here we were in Uganda meeting some of the most incredible people and yet nobody knew anything about them. They were courageous. They had no PR person. And I remember at the end of that journey, um, you know, I was still getting my life sorted out, but I knelt by my bed at the Namarimbi guest house and I just said, Lord, whatever time I've got left, I want to help people like these people in Uganda. And that was the the real turning point in my life that we started Assist. And you, the book came out and you were very much involved in another ministry which was called Friends in the West. How did that start and what, what were you doing with Friends in the West? Oh, well, um, Friends in the West... Um, that that was an organization that was praying for Christians who were in prison in those days, particularly in the Cold War days of the Soviet Union. Men like uh, Pastor Georgie Vins and all sorts of people that that we tried to help. And uh, so, um, uh, what actually happened? Uh, there was a convention in Sweden that I was organizing, I think it was the Phone Gospel Businessman, it was, and there was teams going out, and a young journalist from Calgary, where I was living at the time, had come to cover it, and uh, she'd explained to me that she was a socialist and an atheist and didn't believe, and, uh, uh, you know, I said, well, uh, then how can you do uh, cover a story and be fair? She said, first and foremost, Ray, I'm a journalist. Mm. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tell the story as it is. And uh, then uh, one of the teams was going to uh, Tallinn in Estonia. And uh, they were going to be in the, the organized church. It was a Baptist church in Tallinn. And she, out of the blue, asked me if she could go with this team. And I, I was worried because, of course, she had st- strong social instincts. You know, at that time, I didn't know her very well, but she didn't, you know, she seemed like a, like a, 
a very reasonable person and a good journalist to me. But I said, um, I thought I'd come up with some great wisdom. And I said to her, if you can get a visa today, you can go tomorrow, feeling that it would take weeks with the Canadian passport to get a visa in Stockholm. So um, uh, away she went, and then pretty soon she was back, and this um, tough young journalist was in tears. And she said, I said, what? She said, they threw me out of the visa section of the Russian embassy. I said, well, <laughs> I, was, I was amazed. I said, what for? And she said, because I lied to them. They tripped me up in a lie. And she said, I lied to you as well, Ray. She said, you know, the reason I wanted to go to Tallinn, Estonia, was because my grandmother lived there, and I'd never met her, and I wanted to go and meet her. And I thought, you know, if I told him that, she could go to a prison camp or something. So I said, well, Christy, you don't believe I do. Here's the thing, now that you've told me this, I said, I want you to allow you to allow me to pray for you right now and I jump in the car and I'm going to take you back to and it's my faith on the line now I believe you can get that visa still she said there's no way that I can get that she said there's just two or three people in that section so I said jump in the car so she jumped and she was getting out I had to go park the car it was almost rush hour and the visa section was going to close like in about 10 minutes so I said, you have to rush in. She said, aren't you coming in with me? I said, I've got to park the car. It's rush hour and be towed. You go in. She said, but, but what am I going to say? Say you've come back to apologize for lying to them about your grandmother because you were afraid something bad would happen to her and you just wanted to apologize. You should not have, have lied, you know, and uh, you're sympathetic to the social work that seems to be done in the Soviet Union, and so forth. So I went to park the car, and by the time I come back, she was out holding up her passport high <laughs> She's with the visa in it. She said, I can't believe this. I said, well, to be truthful with you, neither can I. But, but God can do anything. And when she went, and then she come back, uh, she, you know, she wasn't too sympathetic to the goals of, say, the full gospel businessman. She thought they were all the Christians, you know, and what good were they doing? And she challenged me. She said, the pastor's son and daughter was praying for two days that God would lead them to the most dedicated Christian in the team coming, and they picked me out, hid me in the trunk of their car, and took me out so that I'd see the real church in the forest of young people. And they give me all the sheath of documents about people in prison to bring to you. And I think you should give up what you're doing and dedicate your life to this. <laughs> and that's how Friends in the West started, because the documents were all addressed to your friend in the West. <laughs> By the name came about. That's amazing. Well, you know, when we were traveling around Uganda, something quite startling happened, which led you to another ministry called the African Children's Choir. Tell us what happened. There was a young boy, I believe, involved with this. Yeah. Tell us about how well, that began. Well, we, we were traveling. I think if I remember right, everybody was coming into Uganda because Idi Amin was out, and we were actually traveling with the World Vision team. Yes. They were seeking out some places to work and, and help, and we were sharing the expenses with them. And uh, 
one lady uh, asked us that we were going on to past another village. Could we drop her son off because it was summer holiday and he was going to visit his aunt? And what happened, Dan, he got into the car and um, I asked him if he could sing. (laughs) And he said, yes, and you had an old cassette recorder Brand new in those days, by the way, the latest, you had the latest toy, Dan. And uh, what happened was that you recorded a little boy singing. That kept us going, he was singing a little chorus, and what he, how he pronounced it was when he would get to haven, heaven. And uh, what a day that would be. And we kept playing that, and I'm sorry, we, I think we wore out the tape. We kept it going for days, and... It was some years later when I had gone back to Uganda during a terrible famine time in Ethiopia and Uganda, and Uganda was in a terrible civil war. And what was happening was that uh, uh, people were being killed and uh, the prime minister sent for me because, you know, I'd become known because of Uganda Holocaust book with you and... uh, uh, so he said, Ray, I know you're thinking going to the north of Uganda, but there's so many. Uh, Lawero, which was called then by United Press International the Killing Fields of Africa, was just about an hour away by car, and there was thousands of orphans. Could I go there and help? And I remember saying to him, well, you know, that how uh, down I felt about all the world pictures, what happens when the cameras goes away to these children? What's their life going to be like? But he said, you know, Ray, they have to do it to raise the money, to send food in. I said, of course, I understand that, but but what what about the quality of these children? I said, the world needs to see the potential of the African child. He said, well, how would you do that? I said, just off the top of my mind, maybe uh, an African children's choir. <laughs> could tour and uh, they would be educated. They that would be a come a family and traveling with them would be aunties and uncles, both Uganda and Western. And uh, so I I was saying what I believed could be done. And he said, Why don't you do it? I said, Well, how am I going to get the passports? And I said, Even worse, how am I going to get the visas for orphans? And there's a war going on here. He said, I'll get you the passports, Ray. You can get the visas. He gave me the difficult job. It was easy for him to get the passports. And what year was that? That was around, uh, let me see, was it? I think it was 84. Because I know that many listeners will have so enjoyed. Well, it was so amazing that. this choir and it continues and continues and continues um, has brought so much joy to so many people and you can read all about it in Ray's autobiography it's called Don't Tell Me It Can't Be Done by Ray Barnett Ray, who are some of the famous rock stars you've worked with uh, with the African Children's Choir? Okay, in the year 2000 when everybody thought after New Year's (laughs) Something was going to go wrong with all the computers. We performed in Birmingham with uh, Sir Cliff Richards. Uh, we've, uh, oh gosh, we've performed with Annie Lennox. In fact, we made a, um, 
a Christmas CD with Annie, and uh, she's been always a very big encouragement to us in the African Children's Choir. Um, uh, they performed um, recently at the Queen's Diamond Jubilee a few years ago, and were front and center, and uh, it was just amazing. Uh, and uh, they've met the Queen twice. The performed in Westminster Abbey during Commonwealth Day or something like that. And uh, they've, uh, uh, oh gosh. Uh, now what's the story of uh, Paul McCartney? Um, that uh, he, he asked you, do these kids uh, know who I am? Yeah, no, no, this this was at Live 8. Live and 8, yeah. and uh, it was at Hyde Park. And, you know, it was a big park, but there was a VIP section. Yes. Uh, and we were there, and the kids were were sitting, and uh, Paul came up and uh, talked to me, and he said, uh, do these uh, kids know who I am? Oh, gosh, Paul, I said, I wouldn't, I wouldn't think I've ever heard of the Beatles or anything like that. And uh, he said, what do you, you know, like, and so, uh, uh, you know, I persuaded them to have a nice cream cone with us and Morales ice cream. And uh, they were back there at the VIP section. And uh, so what happened is uh, Paul was walking away. The children began to sing one of his songs. And he came rushing back. He said, they do know who I am. He said, well, I said, I didn't know that you, they knew who they were. And uh, it must be that Englishman that's taught them your song. So... Uh, um, uh, he said he was joking with the kids and he said listen uh, when the finale comes tonight crowd around me that's where all the cameras will be <laughs> <laughs> and, and they were performing with all the sting and all the top uh, performers in the world pretty much uh, there and and then of course uh, again in more recent years at the Queen's Diamond Jubilee with you know, with with it, with all the stars and they've been in the Royal Albert Hall. They they've been just about everywhere. They've probably been on so many television shows leading up to the Queen's Diamond Jubilee that they became very very well known. Well, I want to encourage you to get a copy of Ray's book. Don't tell me it can't be done. Ray, how do people get a copy of the book? The best thing is just to go to raybarnett.com and all the information is there what an extraordinary story that Ray comes to the Stam in the Back pub in London uh, we'd known each other for quite a while God had given him what I call a ministry of rebuking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh watch it Dan <laughs> he sort of rebuked me I thought you were. I thought you were praying because you you could put that in the book, and then I found out the tears were streaming down your face, and I was the one rebuked. <laughs> well, <laughs> Ray has played such a big role in my life, and in the life of many many people. He's 83 now. I'm only a kid. I'm 78, but I want to thank Ray Barnett, and again. Get the book, Don't Tell Me It Can't Be Done. Go to www.raybarnett.com. 
You have been listening to Front Page Radio with international journalist Dan Wooding. If you would like a free subscription to the Assist News Service, log on to www.assistnews.net. And if you would like to write to Dan, send an email to assistnews at aol.com. Tune in again for another edition of Front Page Radio on this same station.